Welcome to The Green Rush, a podcast about the intersection of cannabis, the capital markets, and culture. On a weekly basis, hosts Ann Donahoe and Nick Opich of KCSA Strategic Communications speak with the business leaders, financial experts, cultural icons, legislators, and generally interesting people moving the cannabis and psychedelics industries forward. This week, Anne, Lewis, and Nick sit down for an internal hostful conversation as we take a look back at how the cannabis and psychedelic spaces have evolved, both good and bad, in the first half of the year. The trio also touches on the stories we've been following closely, including legislative reforms for both industries, new product development, and the role clinical research will play in allowing these spaces to continue to mature in the right way. Lastly, the group talks about their experiences at Psychedelic Science 2023 in Denver and how the momentum coming out of the conference impacts the months and years ahead. And if you haven't already checked it out, make sure you visit the refreshed greenrushpodcast.net website. With an all-new look and feel, the site makes it easy to find your favorite episodes from the past and allows you to receive the Green Rush newsletter, which will be hitting inboxes again soon. So sit back and enjoy our hostful episode featuring Ann Donahoe, Nick Opich, and Lewis Goldberg of The Green Rush. All right. Well, it's really cool um, to be recording with uh, my two friends, my colleagues, co-hosts, people who basically took over for me on the Green Rush, and Donahoe and Nick Opich. You know, we haven't done a hostful the three of us in I don't know how long. Um, we usually do these when we don't have a guest. That's not the case. I think that we've all wanted to spend time talking to each other in a substantive way about what's going on in the business and the society from a cannabis perspective and also the business and societal perspective of psychedelics. Um, it's been it's been a while since we've all done this, you know, on a podcast. We do this every day in our real life. Um, and we do it on client work, but just taking a moment to step back and look at what's been going on for the last six, seven months in the cannabis industry specifically um, is a great place to start. You know, we're we're taping this now. It's uh, July 26, 2023. Um, and as Ann says, time is a circular bagel. Um, I've heard you say that many, many times. She's like rolling her eyes at me. Um, but it's, it, you know, it, it, you know, so whenever you're listening to this, this is a snapshot in time, Nick, you know, a lot has happened this year in cannabis and a lot hasn't happened, you know, in your opinion, you know, what's the biggest news from a, a cannabis perspective for, for 2023? Uh, I think for me just over the, the last six months, like it's been, the the decline overall just of the excitement in the cannabis markets that's still like i think dominating um the, the public markets and everything there but the thing for cannabis that i've been most intrigued about over the the first six months i won't say it's like the best thing but i've from where i'm sitting in arizona i've seen a huge uptick in the quality of products in which i'm able to buy and the variety of it stuff that is um, you know, unique in that I wouldn't have thought of before um, when, when it comes to it. And I think that overall is is a solid sign for the space that there there is continuing to be um, innovation when it comes to this stuff. We're seeing products being um, developed for different types of consumers. And that shows to me that there is still a mat uh, maturation going on here that, you know, customers are getting the products ultimately that they want. There's still gaps in the spot. In, in spaces here, there's still things that could be improved. But like when I've gone to California, when I've gone to Colorado or to other states that are also legal, like I'm, I'm seeing it happen there too. So that's encouraging from a business standpoint. Yes, there's still a lot more that can, that can happen, but at least from the consumer side, like I got to imagine consumers are, are pretty happy right now with where the cannabis industry is headed. What do you think, Ann? Um, I'm going to go one negative and one positive. 
Um, the negative is just the rampant illicit market that just continues to beat us up um, or beat the industry up. I think that, um, you know, unless 280E or say mostly 280E, um, you know, can provide some relief, which I think we're seeing some states start to do that. I think New Jersey was one, um, you know, to start to provide a little at least state tax relief in that in that event. Um, but I think unless we, you know, this market's never going to take off un until it's right sized and until more people are buying legal weed than they are buying illegal weed. And that's not the case right now. Uh, and there just can't be a thriving market, a, a thriving legal, legal market. Um, yeah. That's my negative. But go, uh, go ahead. No, 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 no. I want to hear what you're positive. positive. That's my yeah, positive. Yeah. And this is like, like client bias. But the state of Missouri, I mean, they are breaking all kinds of records. They are doing selling $4 million of, of uh, cannabis a month. Um, and they are only, they, they only flipped to rec or adult use in February. Um, and for a, a tiny, relatively tiny state, there's 6 million people, um, you know, they are a, a, a real stronghold in the Midwest. Um, and I think that they, um, that that's like one of the shining lights um, kind of in the, in the industry. So, you know, there's not this like overproduction yet. There's not this like huge illicit market yet. Like they, they're there. It's like, it feels fresh. Like they're not dealing with the legacy, you know, of, of a California or a Washington or an Oregon or a Colorado. Um, and I don't know. And, and we do work with, um, with Greenlight, which is the largest um, operator in that state, but they are, it just feels like a good story. I, I, I think you guys are both right. Um, and, and taking it from a, like a step back, you know, we are so in the weeds with pun intended with this industry, um, that, you know, I know I have been making the, the argument for years that this is fundamentally a consumer packaged goods industry, right? That, you know, at some point you're going to walk through a grocery store and there's going to be two types of products that you can eat on the shelf. One of them that will contain THC and one of them that won't. We're not anywhere close to that, but we're heading in that direction. And for consumers, they don't know or care about stock prices and 280E and shipping across state lines. So, you know, Nick, you're talking about what's been developing in Arizona from a product perspective and that it's getting better and it's feeling more like what you can get in, in more mature markets. That makes complete sense. You know, and Anne, you're talking about the growth of Missouri. And I think Missouri is a good example of a market that has transitioned to uh, adult use, you know, in a, in a good way. Of course, people are going to be excited about being able to buy cannabis legally for the first time and they're going to rush into it. And if you look at states like California and Colorado, we're seeing a slowdown in sales numbers, right? Colorado last quarter reported the, for the first time since legalization, um, a, a declining year-over-year -year sales of adult use. It's because it's it's not novel anymore. It's like you can just go to the the dispensary, like going to the packy to buy in you know in, in Massachusetts to buy a, a, a six pack of beer. You can go to the dispensary and buy you know a pre roll or a, a bag of flour or edibles or whatever. It's just like another thing, and that's fundamentally a good thing. And, and when you were talking about the, the problems with 280E and taxation and the impact on the, the continuing growth or, or continu continuing vibrancy of the illicit market in California, I think that regulators are looking at cannabis as this untapped cash cow that they can just reach into and get huge bags of money to pay for whatever they want to pay for. That's what the industry promised them. That's how they <laughs> No it. doubt. Yeah. No, no doubt. No doubt. You know, and they thought they being the industry and they being the regulator thought that like, this is all cool. Like it's going to, it's going to kill the illicit market. Well, it hasn't, especially in California and in Oregon and in Washington, where it's really easy to grow really good quality product. And then, you know, Okay, it's it's cheaper to go to the illicit market. And then you look at New York, which is like a complete shit show, right? This state, there are 
hundreds, if not thousands of illicit dispensaries in New York, in Manhattan, right? Mm-hmm. And there are a small handful of legal ones. And there are times where like, I'll be driving in the city with my wife and she's like, that's not a legal store, is it? I'm like, no, it's definitely not a legal 99% store. 99% of what you're seeing in New York is not legal. <laughs> right. So like we, you know, we've been in this space for almost 10 years, but for the vast majority of the country, this is an industry that is still in its infancy and and it's just fucked up. Go ahead. Uh, no, and I, I think that your point about um, uh, there's more people consuming legal marijuana today than there was yesterday. There will be more tomorrow, blah, blah, blah. But I thought the other really interesting development um, that kind of went underreported and huge shout out to um, Tiffany Carey at Bloomberg um, is that that um, that gummies have surpassed smokable flour in popularity for the first time this spring. Um, and they credit that with people who are spurred for the desire of getting a good night's sleep. So I think when you look at um, the total addressable market for this has always been weird because it is not necessarily like the, the, the legacy user who's been using since college, who loves flour or whatever. Like it's my aunt who mm-hmm. like gets up every night at three o'clock in the morning worrying about like how to give a giraffe CPR or whatever she worries about. And then, <laughs> <laughs> you need like, a very good ladder. Yeah, exactly. Um, and you know, that's like, so, so I think the, the growth in the, um, normalcy of it, normalization of it, um, has, has only like served to help and, and has like worked in spite of all of these other challenges. Like when we talk about other industries, like, I don't know how my Starbucks coffee gets, I don't really drink Starbucks, but like, I don't know how my, you know, how my coffee gets to the roaster, gets to the, like, mm-hmm. that's never been a care of mine. I always just go and I want to get a good cup of coffee. And that is 99% of the consumers who are, who are consuming is that they don't give a shit. You're mm-hmm. right. But the businesses who are putting their, their life savings on the line, who are like bending over backwards for all of these draconian regulations and ridiculousness, like it matters to them. Um, And I I feel like you kind of need to get the consumer more on board with like the way this industry is, is fundamentally unfair and fundamentally not made, not, not an industry that was meant to make anybody other than the government money. Well, it's not making anybody other than the government money. It's just no, not, I know, right? but that's how that's how we built it. Yeah, no, but I I, w- I want to build on that point, and 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 real quick, also going back to the illicit conversation for anybody that um, hasn't already listen to our Jeremy Burke conversation talking about the New York market and and how illicit and how crazy it is. Him him being on the ground in Brooklyn was just a really great perspective, and so anybody that wants to know exactly what's going on in New York, I would go back and listen to that episode. And we'll, um, and we'll link to that in the show notes. In the and show notes as well. And, and, and um, subscribe to his uh, Substack. Yeah, Sorry. so cultivated news. Um, but yeah, on the on the gummies front, um, we've talked about this in the past that, you know, it, it's people wanting to go to sleep, people looking for, for the other cannabinoids besides THC when it comes to this. And one of my talking points that I like to continuously bring up here is that the the adult use industry was really built on the back of the medical industry. And since we've seen a lot of these states switch over into a recreational market, we've seen that research aspect of what these different cannabinoids could be doing um, really go down. And so my hope is that as, as these businesses are seeing like, hey, people are buying CBN gummies like crazy, or they're buying CBD or CBG, like let's research into this. Let's really see what else we could be doing with this and how powerful this could be. Because as the untapped market kits hit, those people are going to be the ones that, uh, like the aunts, the moms, the people that don't want smokable flour, they're going to be looking for stuff like that more and more. And so my real long-term hope is that we start seeing more of that coming out of the, coming out of the, the product side. Well, and that reminds me actually of one of the very first conversations that Anne, you and I had doing this podcast was with Bruce Linton, who was then the CEO of Canopy Growth. And we were recording with him in Vegas at MJ Biz. And this was probably 17, maybe 18. Uh, it was, and, and he was touting the 
the huge number of clinical studies that Canopy was doing in, into sleep and into cognition and all these other things. And we'll link to this interview back in the show notes as well. And, you know, this whole industry was built on the predicate of treating patients. And if you listen to the conversations of all of the CEOs of the multi-state operators, the Canadian LPs, you know, they never said consumer. They always said patient in large part because they had to because they were serving a medical market. It is very rare that you hear of a public company CEO talking about patients. It is now solely focused on consumers, the the lifetime value of a consumer, the cost of acquisition of a consumer, the cost of bringing a product to market, all of that stuff. And there are still lots of companies doing lots of interesting things on the medical research front. MAPS is one of them, right? They're doing research into the use of of cannabis to treat PTSD and and other um, uh, uh, you know uh, clinical Ill illnesses, but you don't hear any of the MSOs talking about this you know in a substantive, consistent, and meaningful fashion, and it's a shame because you know we as a as a company and as the three of us who've always been in this space, we knew that that medical was a you know a, a stalking horse for consumer. But it's a shame. It really is. It makes me sad. It's a shame, but I think it's like also the unfortunate reality of just what the space is. There's so many hurdles to do research like that. Like it, it, it's still a schedule one drug. And I think, you know, going back to your initial question to kick off the, the podcast, Lewis, one of the other things in the first half of this year that, you know, I've been I've been noticing and watching is is what's going on with the HHS and Joe Biden's from his memo at the end of last year. You know, uh, I think it was on Brian Schinderly's podcast from Solidum Capital Advisors that we recently posted. He he noted that um, at the end of December, we're expecting potentially um, the HHS director to make a recommendation on rescheduling cannabis. Um, and it's something I know uh, Chris Crane on our team is following closely. But if if that could happen, like I know that has a lot of impacts on the, the um, implications on the business side. But that rescheduling also could have a really big impact on the research side when it comes to this. And so because of all, all those hurdles, I can understand where the focus has shifted for a lot of these, these MSOs and operators. But my hope is that those those regulatory changes happen and then we can start seeing more research into the cannabinoids again like we were seeing before. That's a good place to pivot this conversation to D.C. for a second, right? Because a lot of the hope that was late in in last year was the passage of the Safe Banking Act. And I remember very clearly being told it's a done deal right before Christmas. And, you know, it's going to happen. It's it's going to it's going to happen. And and it didn't. And we're now in July and um, there has been, you know, I, you know, I wouldn't even say incremental movement forward. Like we hear things from NCIA, people in the industry, Chris, that, you know, it's going to happen. There's just a hold up here or a hold up there. Even if safe banking were to pass, you know, what, what impact do you think and this would have on the industry at its core? Um. I mean, we have a lot of, point of points of view on this from our clients, but um, the one that's kind of ringing true in my head is um, is Fund Canna and and Adam Stetner and saying basically, it's a it's a big shrug, um, and that the people who need banking are getting banking, um, and they have forged those relationships and have held those relationships close, um, and they are good relationships, um, and I think that um, you know much. Um, it it's become held up as this like amazing, glorious, like shiny thing that will cure all. And it is not that thing. I mean, it doesn't, um, it doesn't do anything really with 280E. It doesn't do anything with um, the fact that it's still schedule one. And, you know, so it makes banking a little easier for a couple people. And I don't mean to diminish it that way, but like as oh. with everything in DC, I it's been, um, just like distilled and distilled and distilled until it's nothing or no, what's the opposite of distilling diluted. It's diluted. It's been diluted. That's what I meant. I don't know. That's, that's my yeah. feeling on it. And maybe I'm just like 
like we joke, it's Lucy with the football f- from peanuts. Like I'm, I'm over like landing on my back. I think, and I'll, Nick, I'll go to you in a sec, but I think it's, it's because there is no inclusion of an uplisting, meaning that all of the public companies who are trading on the, the CSC in Canada or on the NEO or on, they can't even trade on the TSX, but we'll, we, we may talk about that later, probably won't. It's more like giving you know, somebody who has headaches related to brain cancer an aspirin. Right. It's it may treat the headache, but it's not going to get rid of the fundamental symptoms of what's going on with this industry. And I don't know. I think Adam is right. Um, It's a big nothing burger. But Nick, you may you may either agree or disagree. Uh, You know, I I still do think it's a nothing burger. I the the there's no bipartisanship when it comes like, yes, people can agree on this, but they don't want to be seen agreeing in any fashion whatsoever right now. Um, and if it, it, and we're running out of time before we hit that election season where, you know, nothing can be bipartisan in 2024. Um, and that's just an unfortunate reality of the way our, our country has kind of been positioning itself. But, you know, we, I think we've had this conversation plenty of times where it's like, you know, we're, we're searching, we're, um, I'm going to phrase this wrong, but we're looking for something to be for me, I always like to put it back into a human context because of how challenging it is for these businesses to operate. We see that affects and how it affects people. Like I, th- I think over the last, you know, six, 12, 18 months, we've seen a huge reduction in staff at a lot of these companies. It's, it's talking with my friends that were, were happily employed a month ago that are now out of work because, you know, these businesses need to cut costs. They need to be really thin on the margins. And so, you know, just looking at it from a human aspect, like that's where these changes need to happen. Don't just think about it from the business side. It's like people want to work. People want to work in this industry. They want to apply their skills to it and really make it a thriving space. But it can't it can't be in these hiring cycles where companies start up, they hire a bunch of people, and then they just slowly trickle them all away because that long term just is going to put people really down on the industry as well. And I think that's something we got to consider. Before we pivot over to psychedelics, because we, uh, you know, I want to talk about that as well. You know, we are all friends with Adam Smith out in Oregon, who has been slowly, quietly, not so quietly, stitching together this coalition of states to try and facilitate interstate commerce. You know, Nick, you talked about earlier the growth, you know, the, the amazing products that are growing up in Arizona. Um, you know, California. Washington, Oregon have a robust and an established consumer packaged goods industry because they've been doing this now for 10 plus years. But New Jersey, Rhode Island, Massachusetts, their products still aren't as good. You know, Adam believes that the economics work to ship either raw material of cannabis from the West Coast to the East Coast or finished goods. I, I tend to I have a standing dollar bet with him, um, which I collected in Denver. But um, you know, I don't think there's any chance of interstate commerce happening um, anytime soon. But uh, you know, what do I know? What do you guys think? <laughs> uh, I think it's going to happen. Uh, that's actually the one thing I, I think I've thought for a, a while is that how do how do we fundamentally change it? It's take it to the Supreme Court, and and you need somebody bold to be able to do it. And um, Gavin Newsom, Gavin Newsom, do it? <laughs> like he wouldn't be he he I think could find the right partner in, in California to start doing that. Um, President Newsom, <laughs> only if he can beat Jared Polis. Um, uh, but I think. Uh, you know, a big part of what Adam's coalition was, was talking about in their in their recent webinar was the the developments with Gavin Newsom and his attorney general to to address the interstate commerce issue. Because, like you said, Lewis, the East Coast is still ramping up the the quality of the product over there. Places like D.C. don't have the ability to grow um, in in that district, and so um, I think it has to happen. And I wouldn't be surprised if something does happen before like mid twenty twenty four on this. 
where somebody's trying to force the issue. Um, make it make it a campaign issue. I think that could be. I think that'd be a lot of fun. I know we've had ideas about um, what would be a fun way to do that, and I don't want to give them away in case we, in case we do want to try and do a little stuff. You mean, you mean have one of our ideas <laughs> stolen again? Uh, I, I, hey. <laughs> by the way, Nick, I will bet you a dollar that it doesn't happen by mid twenty twenty four. All right, you're on. All right, Anne, what do you think? No, sorry, Nick. <laughs> that was awesome that was like no it was like literally like she, it was like she was patting you on the head that was fabulous i don't know um, i i feel like and i whenever i talk to adam and and i get like i i leave the calls with adam so like optimistic and feeling so great and like yeah this makes total sense like why doesn't everybody think like this and then like i look back down at the reality of the day-to-day and like i just feel like it's it's too pie in the sky like not enough people are paying attention to it to make it really something that will make um that will make it worth state two states to come forward and do this. Like, I, I mean, that's a lot of political capital. That's a lot of like bullshit that they're going to hear from different entities. They're going to get sued. Like, I don't know. I, I just feel like we've, there's, there's enough complication that adding that is just, I think it's a political stunt. And I think, um, you know, with all of Adam's intention and like the, the sense that he makes isn't wrong. It just, the world we live in, I think needs to listen to the atoms of the world and the world that we live in does not. The only, the only thing I will, and I, th- I, I agree with everything you've said. I don't think the juice is worth the squeeze. The only thing I will say is, you know, for those people who don't really know who Adam Smith is, he is one of the most influential people in the world and the history of drug policy reform in the last 30 years that very few people know of. He has been very quietly in the background helping to define and shape the conversation about drug policy reform in ways that other people haven't stepped forward. So, you know, I have a lot of faith in him personally, and I hope he's right. I just think that I just think that, yeah, I just think that it's real. like there are so many business, societal, there's so much money, yeah, against him. But you know what? He he helped he helped um, Colorado and uh, and Washington State um, legalize in 2012. He has been very quietly doing work since the 1990s. He was the guy who created Students for Sensible Drug Policy with Chris Lotlicker. So, you know, the dude is, it's hard to bet against him. Yeah. Even though I, even though I have for years. No, and I, there's no bigger like cheerleader, I think, than the three people on this call for Adam and the work that he does. So um, I feel like if he listens to this, I'm going to get a, I'm going to get a cranky text, but um, it's fine. Sorry, Adam. That's fine. And he's also a huge Mets fan. And, and so I he's used him to almost being every day. So really sorry, disappointed. <laughs> yes. Um, so let's, you know, I, I think that we all have agreed that the, the this year has been not as as positive and as we would have hoped for the cannabis industry. You know, this podcast is not only focused on cannabis, it's also focused on the business of psychedelics. Um, and earlier this year, um, the three of us and a large part of the KCSA team were deeply involved with Psychedelic Science 2023, which was a production of MAPS, Momentum, KCSA, um, you know, in Denver. If we, before we get into the specifics of PS 2023, you know, how do you guys look at this year from the psychedelic industry perspective? Where where are we? Where are we going you know, what, what's going on? So I have another two things. So I have a positive and a negative and negative. I think it's schizophrenic. I think there has never been a moment in time when psychedelics and psychedelic medicine is more in the mainstream media and more um, people are curious about it. And people are um, people outside of the community um, are really seeking out 
education and Googling articles and, you know, the, the Wall Street Journal is writing about it. The New York Times is writing about a political is right. Political is writing about it. Fox News is covering it. Like, so I think we have reached this like paradigm shift to like, it has never been a better time from a media standpoint. This, the other side of it is that it has never been harder to raise money <laughs> for, for, for these companies who are doing this work. So I feel like while the, the, the upswing is, is like, public acceptance. Um, and you know, there's challenges there too, but like, um, you know, the, the media has taken note, but then on the other side, like it's been a really, really, really tough hang for those companies who are doing the important work and doing the research, which costs a lot of money. So, um, that's what I think it's schizophrenic. It costs a lot of money and it costs a lot of time. And I think that, you know, uh, cannabis, parallels that people try to try to uh, make between the cannabis and psychedelics industry had everybody trying to think like oh well i got to jump in on this now because it's it's going to move quickly and it's going to be there and it's like no 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 there's a lot more research that needs to go on here there's a lot of development on this and making sure that you know it's a safe and effective path forward rather than just like you know let's get this in the hands of consumers and see what and, and like just start making money that that was just never the the reality of what it was going to be. But I think that a lot of investors are figuring that out now um, that that they got to be patient. Um, but I 100 percent agree with you. And that like now when I tell people that like, oh, I work within the psychedelics industry, I don't get like that puzzled look like really like what? Huh? It's like you can tell people are actually reading these stories. They're interested in, you know, what psychedelic assisted therapy actually means. I don't think that any ketamine side like for, for um, treatment yet. Because it's there's still just so many barriers on the insurance side and the costs and stuff, but it the mom, the momentum is there, and my hope is that everybody can kind of, you know, maintain expectations on like this is going to be a long haul case. Like you, Lewis, you said, you know, where do you think we're at and with this? I think we're still even pre first inning. Like this is still like the warm up stretch. Ball players are showing up to the field. Like we are not ready for fans to come in and sit down in the, in the stadium. And like that, that's okay because this is a lot of progress still for this industry in a short amount of time since we got into it back in like 2018, 2019, whatever that was. Um, that's a lot of growth already in a short amount of time and that's okay. And I just want to make sure our, our investors and people, stakeholders in the space can, can live with that and be okay with it. Um, I, I agree with everything you said except for the timing. Like we are not, we are not, we are further along than, than the, um, the stretching and the warming. Like I, are we in spring training? No, we're, we're, we're pretty, we're pretty close to like the third or the fourth inning. Right. I mean, if maps gets FDA approval sometime next year, that will be uh, an inflection point for the, the entire psychedelic industry it will allow for that company to sell MDMA with therapy to patients, right? Through a doctor, which means that sometime by the end of next year, somebody will be the first patient who will go into a doctor's office and get MDMA therapy to treat PTSD. And there may be off-label applications as well. That's a big effing deal, right? It, you know, you, Nick, you made the 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 conversation, or you, you made the point that a lot of people see a, an analog between psychedelics and cannabis. I think that the biggest analog there is that a lot of these drug development companies in the psychedelic space pursued the same funding strategies that the cannabis companies did by going to the Canadian markets to raise capital, and they did raise capital, right? Some of them raised tens and some of them even raised hundreds of millions of dollars. Not many, but a few did. And we know that it costs up to a billion dollars to take a drug from preclinical through animal testing, phase one, phase two, phase three, and then commercialization. No company has raised that kind of money. No company. And you can't do that respectfully on the Canadian markets. There's just not enough money there to be raised. So the companies that pursued that strategy against our better counsel, right? Because we told all of these companies, don't do this. Don't do this. This is not how 
a, a, a real pharma or biotech company raises capital. And, you know, they were dangled a carrot of $25 million, $15 million. And that's a lot of money. But it's not a lot of money when you know that you need, you know, a hundred plus million dollars to do a legitimate phase two A, phase two B trial, right? It costs, you know, two hundred to three hundred million dollars uh, for the most part to do a phase three trial. You're not going to raise that on the CSE, and you can't get U.S. institutional capital to invest in these companies. So they're all in a very difficult position, right? They're, they are traded on secondary and tertiary exchanges and secondary and tertiary markets, and they have tremendous intellectual property, but they don't have the money to get it across the finish line. And we have had lots of companies that, that we have worked with that have been doing amazing things that have unbelievable data. I mean, I think about Awaken and the data that they have in using ketamine-assisted therapy to treat um, alcohol use disorder. It's literally the inverse of what, you know, a traditional um, uh, 12-step program does, right? If you're in a 12-step program, it's somewhere between 7 and 15% effective at keeping somebody sober for six months. It's literally, it's 85% effective if you're using Awakens ketamine therapy. So that should be easily investable, right? You look at the data that that Small Pharma has had with their their phase 2A trials for using um, DMT to treat depression. They should be able to raise big money, but they can't because of where they're listed. And had they either stayed private or gone the NASDAQ route, it would be a very different conversation. So um, I am not surprised by where we are, but I'm incredibly excited and, and hopeful for what is coming, way more hopeful about this space in in the next eighteen months than I am for the cannabis industry from a business perspective. Um, but that's that's my take. Um, you know. Yeah, I, I I agree with all that stuff. I think um, and very much excited about the the maps approval for for next year that that it's looking like it's going to be happening. Hopeful but, approval. Hopeful, yeah, hopeful approval. Um, but you know, we've also had plenty of conversations with with investors in the space that note that the infrastructure is not there yet to to properly get this out there. You know, right. there, there there's a a lack of uh, facilities to make this accessible to everyone. It's still going to be a really high cost barrier. Um, getting practitioners and therapists and anybody that wants to administer this, you know, trained in the proper way and making sure that, you know, they're, they're delivering it in a safe and effective manner. Like that all still the needs supply to Supply of MDMA? Yeah, the supply of it all. Yeah, no, Rick, like, Rick, Rick has a big block. <laughs> I know he does, but I'm just not sure he can supply the full need. For the- I mean, Rick, Rick Doblin has like a block that's like five by five and he's got this little thing that he's cuts no kidding. No. but you know I, where i do think that I, I get excited about that even even though knack, lack uh, we're lacking on the infrastructure side is like who are going to be those companies who are going to be the those those leaders that are going to come up with the innovative ideas on like how do we get the infrastructure in place now we have uh, the approval on mdma for ptsd we can foresee um other other therapies being approved how are we going to how are we going to roll this out in a way that's effective and can get it to the right the right people in the right way um so i'm excited about like at the right okay cost. yeah at the right cost like so seeing where that's going to happen is, is something that i'm going to be closely watching over the next 6 months 12 months and, and hopefully we're going to be working with a lot of those those companies too oh we will <laughs> we will I'm, i have no doubt in that you know so we back in june um the three of us were in denver uh, for psychedelic science 2023, which I know to me felt like the center of the world for a very short period of time. What was your takeaways from what we, what you experienced, you know, like a um, long period of time? <laughs> well, it's still, it looked, I mean, look, it definitely has a long tail, but what were, you know, what were your takeaways from, from PS 2023? Um, both when you were there, and now that we've had like about a month or so of remove from it, like where where's your head at? Nick, you go first on this one. Uh, 
going back to what I answered, media interest at this uh, at this point is an all time high. Like shout out to the KCSA team, McKenna, Matt, Emmeline, all of them for, for what we did. We had over 350 media members um, registered for, for, for PS23. Yeah, Fallon as well. 350 media members from a whole swath of publications from all around the world. It wasn't just, you know, we were seeing, you know, one type of reporter there. It was everyone was interested in this. So just that general interest, I think, is just explosive for getting people aware of what's going on here and having, like, you know, giving them a reason to follow. So that was, I think, the the most awesome thing that I saw out of it, like where, where, where we were at, cause we were working it. I didn't get to sit in on really any sessions, um, unfortunately. So I'm, I'm watching for, um, when those are going to be released in the coming weeks, um, to be able to sit in and, and hear some of those folks. But, um, that was like the thing that got me most excited about it was just seeing all the different types of conversations that are taking place, um, um, on this to, to educate the rest of the world on it. But I still think that coming out of it, that there's a huge diversity problem and access problem within the space for who's able to get into the rooms, who's able to get prioritized when it comes to this. Like, um, it's great that, you know, things are moving forward, but if we're not addressing, you know, the, the access barrier and making sure that people of color or diversity or different, you know, spiritual backgrounds are being included in these conversations, it really gives it in my in my view the perception that this is another opportunity for wall street white guys to make more money off the backs of labor that was done for years by people of um you know people of color or other minorities that that did keep this in this conversation going in, in the long term so i think coming out of it you know i think i think it's good to acknowledge where that there might be some some gaps in this and so you know while it can be seen as a negative, I think it can also be seen as a positive, like, okay, how do we continue to have this conversation about access and diversity within the space so that everybody gets the chance to take the MDMA for PTSD, not just the ones that can afford it or live in the right areas where it's going to be accessible for them. I think that's right. I think, um, a couple of my takeaways, I mean, I, I, I met some incredible people. I, there is, you know, not, and not just like the, the Rick Perry's and the governor Jared Polis's of the world, but like, I think I also came away with, um, a better sense of, of the community, like quote, we talk about the community. We talk about, um, like to your point, Nick, the people who have kept this alive for the last 50 years and who have kept people safe for the last 50 years. Um, you know, the work they do is really important and they all showed up here for the most part. Um, and I feel like as we are um, B2B, for the most part, professional communicators, we speak to the media, we speak to investors, um, you know, and we try to tell the stories of people who are, you know, helped by this. But I think we don't fully, we, I didn't fully recognize or understand the value of the community here. And like, you know, I, is it, is it necessarily my community? No, it's not. But like, I am honored to be able to be a facilitator between, um, the biotech and the business side and this community and like having it be, um, work to get those stories told as well. And just work to get to know some of these people a little bit better because, you know, I didn't before. And, oh, the other thing that I thought is that, what was interesting to me was, you know, we had this huge stage and it was great. We had amazing keynotes and Michael Pollan and Aaron Rodgers and the governors and all of this stuff. The two um, tracks that were not on the big stage that were standing room only that, mm -hmm. that I kept hearing about over and over again were about psychedelics and religion and psychedelics and sex. And I feel like mm. that is a very telling um, you know, people who are, who are interested, like people were interested in the other things too, but like, those were the, the sessions that like surprised me for being like standing room only discussed, um, like openly touted. Um, and I think, you know, having that intelligence kind of knocked me on my head a little, like in the, in a good way, it's just like, oh, I didn't think about that. Like, I didn't think that that would be better attended than some of the keynotes. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, not keynotes, 
featured speakers. Wow, it's, it's you know so interesting because we all had such fundamentally different experiences, right? We were all in the same place for the same period of time, and you know that was not my experience. Though the, the the one part I will say that was my experience was I was really blown away by the diversity of the audience that was there. It wasn't just you know, middle-aged rich white guys, which is at lots of conferences. It's lots of middle-aged rich white guys walking around in suits, making themselves felt selves feel good about themselves. Um, and while I don't wear suits, I do resemble that, um, you know, description because I am a middle-aged white guy. Um, but it wasn't, it was, there were people in their eighties who were there. There were people in their 20s who were there. I saw people walking around with children, like young children there. There were people of color. There were people in traditional garb um, and lots of different traditional garb, you know, from all over the world. You know, there were 12,000 people that attended this conference. Um, and it was really absolutely fascinating. And where my head was focused on, for the most part, the business side of this, because that's where my head normally goes. You know, I sat in on Jamie Wheel's um, uh, talk, not on the main stage. It was in one of the side rooms. And, it, you know, it was a, a, a discussion about the, 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 the warning signs that need to be paid attention to and what's going on in this space of, like, we don't want the Wall Street to co-op the movement, but we also don't want the the hardcore historic market or indigenous participants to completely define where this is going, that there has to be some middle ground so that those who need it can get access to it, um, that, that access is widespread, um, but that we don't only give it to those who are historic, right? Like there's no reason why any of us shouldn't have access to it I'm not Native American. I'm not from Mexico or um, Africa. And like, does that mean that I should be not able to gain access to it? I hope not. Um, the other side of it is, you know, we do need to be careful about how this is is rolled out. And, you know, Michael Pollan in his conversation with Bob Jesse was really the two of them were really clear. Like, this is not a panacea. This is not like take this pill and your life is going to be better. It's you need to do the work. And I think that also came through really clearly in all of the conversations that I had with people, which is these are tools. They are not destinations. Um, and, you know, in the conversation that that I heard between Aaron Rodgers and Aubrey Marcus, you know, there was a conversation about taking ayahuasca 42 times. Right. Like. That's a party drug. That is not a, um, uh, a, a medicinal use therapeutic. And there's nothing wrong with using these these molecules for self-exploration. But I, I think Alan Watts said it best. And I've said this out loud a couple of times, but he said it. It's just once you've heard the message, put down the phone. Right. Like if you are keep going back to something again and again and again, then there's a question that you need to ask yourself of why, why am I doing this? What am I looking for? And am I just looking for another heightened experience? You know, we're told that these drugs are not addictive, but they can be habituating. Right. And we have to be careful with that. Um, I loved, I loved PS 23. I really did feel like this was a turning point for the the domestic and global conversation about mm -hmm. mental health and using these tools to address mental health. Were it not for Aaron Rodgers, I don't think we would have had 350 reporters, you know, in Denver. Um, we would have had a lot. We would have been close. I we, mean, we would have had a lot. No, no, no. We would have had a lot. Yeah. But but, you know, he he helped sell tickets. He helped draw media attention. Um, and I think that that's an important lesson for other conferences that are doing this work. 
and for you know PS twenty five or twenty six or whenever the next one of these is. Um, but I came away from the event incredibly energized and unbelievably positive and excited about what the next eighteen months brings. Um, and if we bring it back to the earlier part of the conversation about fundraising, it's it, you know it's hard out there right now to raise capital. But the closer we get to MAPS's um, uh, uh, FDA approval, hopefully it will get easier. I believe that it will. You know, the other side of it is MAPS has had a tough time raising money, right? Like we work for MAPS and, you know, we're not discussing anything that hasn't been publicly revealed, but their their valuation that was revealed in the Wall Street Journal Boy, is that a surprisingly low number compared to what it what I would have thought for a, a potential blockbuster drug. I also think it's worth noting that what Rick Doblin and Maps have done with this approach to drug development is fundamentally different. They are doing they, you know, to date have done it through donations, um, grants, you know, that and that is a hustle. And that is 36 years and what, $140 million? Um, Around there, yeah. Ish. Um, and, and I think that, um, you know, that was was great. And the hustle was there for the, for, you know, getting this through, you know, the first couple of phases, um, you know, but it just, the market, you know, it, I, I wish there was a huge, huge, massive major donor that would come in and be like, I got this, I got commercialization, you know, <laughs> and here's $500 million. Um, that just isn't going to happen on the donation front as much as I wish that it would. So I think uh, it's worth noting that that was a strategy on purpose. Um, and, you know, I think they were enormously successful with the funds they were able to raise to date. Oh, yeah. Um all right, so we've been talking now for 50 minutes or so, so which is a, a long time, um, even though I can talk forever. Uh, so why don't we go with some last thoughts? And, and, and the eye roll was appreciated, you know? This is an audio medium, Lewis. <laughs> it's okay, but, but your eye rolls are very loud. <laughs> yes, so who wants to go first with last thoughts? Uh, I, I can go first. Um, the, there's two things that I'm going to be most closely um, watching, and, and it's all legislative, though. Um, so it's going to be, like I said before, what happens with the HHS recommendation to Biden um, when it comes to rescheduling? Does it do they go big and go like schedule three, schedule four, or do they keep they temper the expectations and go schedule two? Um, I think no matter what, it's progress, but. I, I really do feel like there is momentum for that to actually, you know, make a big difference in the cannabis industry. So I'm going to be following everything on that front. And then on the um, psychedelic side, I think it's the momentum that's taking place at the federal level around this. Um, uh, I'm sure most of our listeners saw the uh, Crenshaw and Ocasio-Cortez um, press conference, you know, um, talking about veteran mental health care and, and the use of psychedelics with that um, work. I know us as a firm are closely following the Breakthrough Therapies Act that's in the Judiciary Committee in both the, the House and Senate that really could open up a lot of doors um, when it comes to doing research on this. And so that um, the, the, the legislative conversation right now is very intriguing for me because I've seen it in Arizona in the state budget. We gave $5 million towards um, uh, psilocybin research, natural psilocybin research. We're seeing it in Kentucky. We're seeing different states like Connecticut, Illinois, Michigan, all doing this. And, you know, legislation is really where we're going to see the biggest difference or public investment in this. And so um, I do think that there's momentum that we could see coming towards November that could really move both of these industries forward in a meaningful way. Um, mine are twofold. And, um, I think that we are also at an interesting inflection point when it comes to mental health and mental health awareness um, and, and having it um, be a part of the regular discourse um, of general health care. Um, and I know, um, you know, I was just listening to, I think, The Daily or uh, NPR's Up First, whatever it was, um, you know, about the Biden administration really thinking about mental health care the way we think about physical health care um, and making it less 
um, burdensome to have to, to, you know, to get referrals and all this other bullshit that we have to go through for, um, for just obtaining basic services. So I do think there's an enhanced conversation, um, about mental health care that, um, I, I, am excited to see continue. Secondly, um, I, I've had the Michael Pollan article in El Pais, um, which we'll drop in the show notes here, um, in my head, um, you know, and he he did a great talk with Bob Jesse, you know, on the main stage at PS 2023. Um, and he cautions, you know, he, he cautions that psychedelics are not this silver bullet and it may not work for everybody. And there will be some people that will be disappointed. You know, are, are the numbers, the data coming out really, really positive to help a great majority of people? Yes. But at the same time, if we are so high on our own supply that we are not thinking very carefully about these substances, the regulations, the training, um, the harm reduction that needs to get um integrated into our society, um, then this is going to be all for nothing. Um, so uh, those are the, the the things that are kind of top of mind for me. Lewis, your last you know, thoughts. Um, well, these are my last thoughts for this <laughs> podcast. These are not my last thoughts. Um, you know, we, we had the opportunity to sit down with Carl Hart when we were in Colorado and we had a really interesting conversation about addiction. Um, and I fundamentally disagreed and do disagree with his definition of what addiction is. You know, he doesn't believe, he basically doesn't believe in addiction it, it, or, or the way it's de described. The way it's but, defined as a disease, I would say. Right. I don't but, think but, he doesn't believe in addiction. I think he disagrees with how we are um, yeah, I, 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 we we have a we have a disagreement on, uh, and maybe it's a disagreement in terms, but but you know I think about the psychedelics industry and how it is being pursued from a medical perspective, and there are a tremendous number of people who are equally interested in opening it up as a another form of a consumer packaged good, and that scares the heck out of me. Um, you know, these are serious molecules that can have a significant impact on somebody. And unless people are taught how to use them, they can really be damaging, you know, uh, long term from an emotional, psychological, spiritual perspective. And that scares me. Um, you know, I do believe that people should be able to consume things and be responsible for themselves. But, you know, the experiments that's go that are going on in Colorado and in Oregon give me pause because if, if psychedelics are follow a similar state by state legalization structure that cannabis has, it will really make it difficult for the medicalization of these drugs, which is what their intent has been. And if you think back historically to how these drugs were used by indigenous peoples, you didn't go to Burning Man in the Amazon, right? You were using ayahuasca to treat some dis-ease in your being, right? Whatever it was. And I just, you know, when people talk about indigenous use, it was for medical need. Now, you, it's a much broader concept of medical than we may have, but it wasn't to go out and party. And that that gives me real pause and gives me real concern because there are people who have used these molecules to go out and have a good time and fuck themselves up for a long time. And that's that scares me. Conversely, um, I'm incredibly hopeful for the cannabis industry. Right. Like, I, I really do believe that we are on uh, a flight path towards real normalization and that, you know, it, it, it's probably not until after the next presidential election, but it's going to get better and it's continue. It will continue to get better incrementally, you know, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly, but it's going to get better. Um, so I'm, I'm really hopeful. I'm hopeful for both. And those are my last thoughts. 
Well, awesome, guys. I think we should do this again at the end of the year and, and see uh, see what things we were looking forward to and how those end up. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think we're good here. Thanks again to Ann and Lewis for joining me today for a little hostful podcast for everyone. Um, and if you guys haven't already, make sure you check out um, our revamped website, greenrushpodcast.net. The KCSA digital team did a great job. Um, getting that all updated, cleaner, fresh look, and would love to hear everyone's thoughts on that. Um, in addition, go check out the website um, because we're um, setting up a, a, a newsletter sign up. The Green Rush newsletter is returning, um, and we want to make sure that's hitting all of your inboxes and um, you guys are able to connect with us in every way possible. So take a look out for, for that coming up here real soon. And as always, thanks for listening to the Green Rush. If you want to chat with Ann, Lewis, or I, you can find us on Twitter at the handle at the underscore Green Rush or on Instagram at the Green Rush underscore podcast. You can drop us an email at greenrush at kcsa.com. We want your feedback. We want your guest ideas. We want you guys to let us know. What do you think we're missing? What would you guys love to hear an episode about? Um, and as always, don't forget to subscribe to the Green Rush in your favorite podcatcher. That's one take, Shay. One take. Cannabis! Cannabis!